You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. Hey, what's up, Refuge Community Church? Man, it is so great to be back with you guys uh, today, to be able to preach God's word again. Uh, We just completed this sermon series, Seize the Moment, where we talked about building healthy rhythms in the midst of COVID. And so if you you missed that, I would encourage you, go back and check that out. And if this is your first time uh, visiting by online, watching along with us, man, thank you so much for being a part of this. Um, I would encourage you, go back and check out our past sermons. See, just get a feel for who we are and what we're doing. Um, and, and, and as well, if you could, if you haven't done this yet, fill out uh, the connection card. There's, there's a link for that in the description of the video. So please, uh, we would love to connect with you. We would love to get to know you better uh, and help you find a community to get connected to. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Refuge Community Church, for joining us every week. Love you guys so much. Um, but like I said, we had just completed this Seize the Moment um, the sermon series and, and building healthy rhythms and all that. Now we're going to be diving into a few uh, standalone sermons. And so I get the opportunity of sharing some stuff that has been on my heart. And, and, and actually today is going to be a fun one because I, I get to kind of give just more of an overview of the, the, the grand plan of what God has been doing and how all of what we do fits in. And so actually before I dive in, can I, can I, I just would like to pray real quick. So God, thank you uh, for your word, which teaches us, gives us a worldview that helps us to see how all the work that we do uh, uh, is part of that work. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So I've been thinking about the reality of how long I've been waiting for the day that we would launch this church. For me, it's been uh, about four years where God began to put this vision on my heart for Josh. I believe it's been even longer, uh, but I never thought I would be church planting. But for about four years now, looking at, at moving to Austin, we were li- my family and I were living in Michigan, uh, originally from Texas, but, but in Michigan thinking, man, we're going to go back to Texas. Can't can't uh, can't leave it in uh, forever, you know. We love this place, and so the idea of coming back to Michigan or into back to Austin or Texas, and excited about that opportunity, um, but also no, like not knowing who, anybody there, not really under, knowing any churches or having any real close connections, but feeling this deep calling. This is what we're supposed to do. So this nervousness, this excitement, and we take the leap of faith, raise some funds and support, and then head over here. God supplies all of our needs. Like, and, and every step of the way, we're meeting a new person here, meeting a new person there, making these connections. And God is continuing to uh, raise the support to where we need it as we move along. Like, it just seems like everything just keeps falling into place over and over. End up at Eastside Community Church, which is the church that sent me and a, and a group of us uh, with refuge, um, and 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 there I was there for two years, learning and growing about church, thinking about church planting and and getting a clearer vision of where I want to go and what I want to do. And, and so all of this movement towards it. And exactly, actually, exactly a year ago today, I was in the second meeting that I had set up with Josh. Uh, our lead pastor. So I, I was in this meeting with him talking about the idea of coming on and becoming an ex- executive pastor here at Refuge. 
And so, like, think about this movement forward, movement forward. The, the team is coming together. God, we've been sent out by Eastside Community Church. We're all ready to go. And then a month or so in, right when we get the location we need at Rodriguez, when we think we're about to launch there, we've got things all together. We've got it ready to go. And right when we think we're going to launch, COVID hits and just blows up all of our plans, Right? And this, this last seven months, man, seven months has just felt like we've been trudging through, trying to ha- cling on to, like, what is it that God has called us to do? What are we doing? And it can feel like our plans have been slowed down. And, and, and I think this, it's not just like that with church planning. Man, if you feel like, what are we doing here? Like, what are we doing with this whole church planting thing. If you have been feeling that, you can imagine how much like Josh and I have been feeling that sense of like, man, we've been waiting for this moment and then it just all kind of falls apart. And yet I, I wanna remind you and, and myself and, and Josh, all of us, we, we need to be reminded that God has been at work for thousands of years and, and his plan is, is, is at work and we have been a part of, we have only been a part of that plan for a minute amount of time. And this one extra, extra seven months that it's been now and maybe it'll be longer, this little bit of extra time is really not that big a deal in the grand scheme of things. And I keep having to remind myself that God has bigger plans for us than we can imagine. And the reality is that his timing is so much better than ours. And so actually today we're going to be looking at the, the overall, overall uh, meta-narrative of Scripture and how God's plan is, is, is unfolded in, in Scripture. And then Christ's work on the cross and then how we participate in all of that. What are we doing when we're church planting in the middle of a pandemic? What is all of this about? And so that is hopefully I'll be able to answer that question for you today. So these are actually my points for today. Uh, we're gonna talk about the meta narrative of scripture. So the meta narrative of scripture, Christ's work, and our participation in all of that work. Meta narrative of scripture, Christ's work, and our participation in that work. So we're gonna dive right in, looking at, I'm gonna give you an overview, the meta narrative of scripture, the, the narrative that runs through all of these books that are actually individual books, but are connected uh, by the thread of Christ all the way through and by the thread of God's plan all the way through. And so we're gonna be looking at this now, the meta narrative of scripture. And, and we're gonna start with just Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Genesis 1, 26 through 28 says this, Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. uh, God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. Now, this is our main text for today. And the reason for that is because in this very, in the very beginning of scripture, we get a picture of what God's plan is. He he states it right here. What is his plan for earth, for humanity? What is the whole purpose here? God's intent, God's goal is actually to 
not just create a world that is complete and perfect and we get to just get to lay back and do nothing. The, actually, God's goal was to create a place where he could partner with humanity. And in, in fact, taking these image bearers, these people who bear God's image and, and partnering with us to, to cultivate his kingdom to cultivate uh, this world and bring about beauty and life and goodness. It was our job to partner with him to see heaven and earth remain united. And in fact, we, this is the picture you get God walking in the midst of them. There's a sense of heaven and earth being one here in the garden. And so this was God's plan, heaven and earth united. And then he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So he wants his image bearers to fill the earth and cultivate, create, and rule over, ultimately expanding God's kingdom so that it covers the entire earth. That is the whole goal, that God's rule and reign would cover the entire earth through his image bearers, that we would join him in this work. And so uh, this, is, this is the beauty of what God has invited us into. This is the overall narrative. Now, I, I want to take that narrative further because he, that just gives us a little piece of it. But what we do know is that while this is our goal, to, God's goal is to partner with image bearers, to cultivate, create, rule over this earth, fill this place with his, see his, his kingdom, fill, fill this place, his rule, his reign through this place, through us, this is his plan and see heaven and earth overlap. We see that this gets messed up and it becomes clear that this is his mission all the way through scripture, all the way through scripture. See, we have this potential for growth and yet Adam and Eve, the first humans mentioned here in scripture, the, the, Adam and Eve disobey God and, and actually instead of reflecting him, they begin to uh, crave their own uh, this knowledge of good and evil, this desire to do things on their own, to rule in their own way, to do things their own way. And so all of a sudden, the, the, the narrative of Scripture, the goal that God had, it, it, it seems like it's disrupted, right? And, and this seems to be a pattern that starts, right? God actually uh, uh, protects them by getting them out of the garden so they didn't eat from the tree of life. There's this, this picture of saying, hey, like you cannot be immortal and stay in this state. This is unhealthy for you. And so they're, they're kicked out of the garden and, and, uh, and outside of the garden, things just continue to go wrong. Instead of filling the earth with God's image bearers, instead of being like uh, filling the earth with God's uh, loving uh, rule and his creativity and his goodness, they begin to fill it not with all of that, but with violence. And this is, is what we see in Genesis 6, 11. This is where God destroys the earth with a flood. He fills, because the earth is filled with violence, he's trying to pre protect the plan to partner with humanity, be, with his image bearers, to, to fill this earth with his image, with his dominion, with his reign. And he wants to partner with us to do that and see heaven and earth overlap. But again and again and again, we see humans mess this up. So we have this in Genesis 6. Humans fill the earth with violence instead of knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Uh, and the flood flips it all on its head. God starts over with Noah. And what is the command he gives to Noah after talking about humans being image bearers? Right after doing that with Noah, he also goes into saying, be fruitful, multiply, fill, you know, fill the earth. It's almost like he re-gives the same command he gave in Genesis 1, 26. 
He still wants to work with humanity, no matter how many times they mess up. And again, immediately after this, there's another story about the Tower of Babel where humans mess up again, right? They, they begin to build this tower to the heavens, trying to make a name for themselves. They're, they're building their own kingdoms, their own things, and God has to scatter them. It's almost like, stop building bigger. You need to go out. You need to go out. That's the whole purpose. You're not supposed to stay in one place. You're supposed to fill the whole earth. God desired to fill the earth with image bearers. This is God's plan. We see it over and over again. He's, he, the next thing we know, he meets with a, a man named Abram, later called Abraham. As many of you may know, Abraham, and he makes this covenant with Abraham and says, I'm going to uh, you know, multiply your descendants so so that uh, there's as many as cover as many uh, stars in the sky will cover the earth as as many grains of sand that like he's he's telling Abraham I want to partner with you to make this whole thing possible and this idea heaven and earth overlap the idea of a kingdom that re- that that represents God that is God's rulers ruling in place for with God. And so there's this plan. God's, oh, here he goes again. He's gonna get, he's gonna meet with Abraham. He's gonna make his plan happen again. And, you know, uh, things continue to fail. Things continue to fall short. Man, you know, um, eventually God's like, well, I still desire to dwell in the midst of my people you have Moses come along. Like, I'm, I'm skipping through scripture real quick, but we get to Moses and he's like, I have this plan. I wanna be with my people. He's got a land prepared for them. They start putting together a tabernacle so that God's presence can dwell in the midst of them where heaven and earth overlap, where there's a kingdom of priests where he can begin to, to, to uh, be a blessing to the whole world through his people. And in fact, that's the, bless, that's the promise he gave to Abraham, that he would be a blessing to his people. His, his, uh, his descendants would be a blessing to the nations. Again, filling the whole earth with, the, with God's image bearers, with the glo- knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That's the reality of what God is at work doing he starts to do that, building a tabernacle, getting uh, a place for him to dwell with his people again. And over and over and over and over, the Israelites continue to do what Adam did uh, what, and what all of those after him have done. And they continue to worship other gods and, and do other things that do not represent God's true uh, kingdom. God's kingdom. And so instead of cultivating this beautiful place that God wanted to cultivate, Israel continues to mess up over and over and over again, what all of us have all done. And finally, God, they end up in exile, right? So they were, they were brought into their land. They had the presence of God there with them. The closest thing they had to what God was trying to do was when David was ruling and things just continue to go, uh, get all messed up and they don't spread and fill the earth. With, I mean, like it just doesn't do what it was supposed to do. It, it isn't doing what it was supposed to do. God wants to dwell uh, and throughout, uh, be a part of all of creation with, his, with humanity. And so this plan that, uh, then gets, again, sideswiped with these people just not following through and therefore not able to do the whole purpose of of existing, um, which was simply uh, to partner with God. And they haven't partnered with God over and over again. So they're taken into exile by a foreign king. And uh, this 
you know, the, 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 these foreign kings that, that took, uh, the foreign king that took them and the, this other empire, Assyria, and then Babylon, man, it conti- they continue to be taken away from their land. They continue to be disconnected from the presence of God. And, and at the same time, God continues to reach out to humanity. And my favorite, one of my favorite passages in the Bible is when God uh, reminds us of his plan, but also points to the fact that he's not done with his plan in Daniel 2. In Daniel 2, he speaks this in a dream to a foreign king, to Nebuchadnezzar. And in this dream, um, Daniel has to interpret the dream. And in Daniel 2, verse 31, I'm going to read this, 31 uh, through 35, he says this. He's explaining the dream. Daniel says, your majesty, as you were watching, suddenly a colossal statue appeared That statue, tall and dazzling, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was terrifying. The head of the statue was pure gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its stomach and thighs were bronze. Its legs were iron, and its feet were partly iron and partly fired clay. As you were watching, a stone broke off without a hand touching it, struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay, and crushed them. Then the iron, the fire clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were shattered and became like chaff from the summer threshing floor. The wind carried them away, and not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain that filled the whole earth. You're like, what does this have to do with God's plan uh, to you know, partner with image bearers, right? What does it mean? He goes on to explain that each of these metals uh, or these materials are, are different kingdoms, different kingdoms that would come through. And he talks about this stone, this stone that's taken not from a hand of a human, uh, and it's just thrown at this statue. The statue is obliterated, right? And what happens is uh, that... that uh, that stone hits the ground and then it begins to grow, becomes a great mountain and it fills the whole earth. Again, this is a a sign that those kingdoms, all the kingdoms of this world that do not represent God, all the kingdoms that are not partnered with God to make this place the way that God desired to do it are going to be destroyed and God's kingdom is going to fill the entire earth. The plan from the beginning, the plan from the beginning and and eventually we get uh the the message uh from revelation uh 21 and 22 the very end of the bible we get this this message has continued over and over and over and over through throughout scripture god wants to partner with his image bearers to cultivate and create something beautiful in this world fill this earth with his kingdom rule through humanity like this it, it, where heaven and earth can overlap this is his goal again i'm going to repeat it over and over and over this is his goal. This is his plan. And he's been at work doing it forever, you know, for thousands of years. And it gets, we get to uh, the, the, the book of Revelation, the final book in the Bible, the end of the story, the last two chapters. And we get this picture of heaven and earth coming back together. Heaven uh, and the, the heavenly city adorned like a bride for her groom, uh, descending and, and coming down to earth. And we get this picture of this river flowing out of God's throne, the whole place filled with light. In the, and then all of the kings of the earth are bringing their splendor into uh, this place. 
there's this beautiful kingdom that's represented and it will fill the whole earth and everything will be transformed and changed because God will complete his plan. God will complete his plan. And so, man, we think waiting one year is hard, right? Like, man, I, I'm, I'm tired of waiting for God to complete his plan uh, of, of church planting in Southeast Austin. One year is nothing. God's been at this for thousands of years and we play a small part in this. And thankfully, it's a beautiful part that we get to participate in. Every bit of it is absolutely beautiful. And so uh, just reminding us that, that, man, we may think that we've been waiting for a long time. God has been at work for much, much much longer. His plan is still at work and he's not done doing what he planned to do, bringing these image bearers to fill the earth, cultivate it and reign with his kingdom authority so heaven and earth might overlap. All right, so that is the meta narrative of scripture. Uh, That is the beautiful picture, the beautiful plan that God has. But where does Christ come in this whole picture? What is Jesus's whole purpose in this in this whole narrative. And so I'm gonna talk next about Christ's work. Christ's work, that's our next uh, point. Christ's work. So how does God fulfill Genesis 1, 26 through 28? I mean, it seems impossible, right? He wants to partner with humanity. How's he gonna partner with humanity when humanity keeps on messing things up? The only way he's gonna be able to do that if he himself becomes human, God sends uh, the Son, Jesus, who is God, who is the divine word of God. He is God, becomes flesh, and he dwells among us. Like the word dwell is like he tabernacled among us. He becomes like a living, walking tabernacle, the presence of God dwelling within him. And yet at the same time, he's he's fully human. So now we have a fully human person who is filled with the presence of God, who is God himself, where God and humanity finally are united perfectly. God's like like reaching out, trying to love us and trying to use us and trying to work with us. And he's like, look, if you won't do it, I'll make the link possible. I will become the human and, and shake my own hand and make this, this covenant finally fulfilled. And so Christ comes and becomes the link between divine and human. And, human, and, and he becomes the one who, who rescues us and begins to turn this whole plan back around and make it possible he becomes that, that, that rock, that stone that slams into and destroys every other kingdom. I mean, think about what happens. Think about what happens when Jesus dies. And I, I don't have enough time to get into everything that, that happens when Jesus dies. There's a lot that goes into it. But I, I was just thinking about the beauty of what the work on the cross does how it literally destroys the power of every other power in this world. And what we see is that Jesus takes upon himself sin. He takes our sin upon himself so that we might become the righteousness of God. He takes our sin and destroys it, takes it to the grave. He takes sin and death to the grave. All the consequences of sin taken upon himself and to the grave. Christ destroys the power of sin and death on the cross. That is one of those powers at work trying to work against humanity, right? But not only that, the 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 
the thing that held us captive, sin itself, it, 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 like that also is taken away. And so he's giving us through his death, gives us this freedom to be able to walk more like him. And there's, there's, there's more to it. But in, even in his death, I love how the, the Rome is supposed to be viewed as this place, it's the, the place, a place of peace. Like Rome is the place where peace is created, but they create it through violence. And that violence is, is revealed through the cross they end up killing not just an innocent man, they end up killing the Prince of Peace himself, you know? Uh, Christ is crucified by the Roman government, a government that's, that claims to have all power and is supposed to be the greatest government ever. Like the reality of the brokenness of every human kingdom is revealed in Christ's death. The injustice in every system, doesn't matter which system you're a part of, doesn't matter, you know, your political party, there is injustice in every system and every system is broken and Christ is coming and revealing this on the cross. In his death, he takes down sin and death. In his death, he takes down the kingdoms of this world and reveals their brokenness. In his death, he lifts us up and gives us freedom. In his death, he does all of this and this is how it becomes possible for us to become the image bearers we were called to be, to partner with him. Man, like Christ's work is incredible. He, and I even think about the fact, like the fact that his blood is shed, his blood is poured out, man. The work on the cross is incredible. I, you know, before, uh, before Christ died, God was dwelling in a, in a tabernacle, then a temple, and his presence was there, but the only way, you know, priests could go in, they had to go through all these rituals. The only way they could build and prepare the whole place, they had to sprinkle everything with blood. And in the Old Testament, he explains like, because there's life in the blood, there's life in the blood. And this is like the idea that God's, uh, God's life-giving presence is, is somehow like in the blood of these animals. Um, but then Christ, who is literally the divine life, pours his blood out. And there's this like beautiful symbolism happening where his blood uh, pours out from him, right? It's dripping onto the ground, but even when the, the guard stabs him in the side and water and blood mingled pour out, there's this idea that God is cleansing the entire world in Christ's death. God is cleansing and preparing the way for his presence to fill this place. And this is exactly what he does when he sends his spirit, right? So he has prepared this whole world to be his temple, to be his tabernacle through the death of Christ. If we're talking about the stone that was cut out without any hands, that, that was thrown, destroys every kingdom and sets in, builds this, this crazy picture, this mountain that is going to fill the whole earth. He has prepared the way for all of this to finally take place. Man. But then how do we participate in this, right? What is our participation? Before Christ leaves, he sends his spirit and he gives Another great commission. I say another because I believe that the, the Genesis 1, 26 through 28 is, is a first great commission. Go and fill the earth with his image and, and, and light, you know, fill the earth with his presence and his rule and his reign. And, and the, the great commission tells us to go make disciples of who? All nations. We're talking about spreading out again. Make disciples, teaching them all that I have taught you, uh, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The idea is... 
you're going to begin to build this people that I wanted to build from the very beginning, but now it's actually possible because he's sending his spirit to transform our hearts. He's already cleansed us with his blood and prepared the way so that we might fill this earth with his image, okay? We are able to participate in this plan. It's incredible. So the apostles have been prepared. They've been told to go. They wait for the Holy Spirit. And what do they do to participate in this plan? How do they go and and make disciples? They go, they preach the gospel wherever they go, and then they begin to start churches, right? They begin to start churches, like this, like there's the, the different house churches all throughout this, this area and uh, from Israel and it begins to expand out uh, and throughout the Roman Empire, like th- that Christ begins to, like his presence and his church begins to fill this place in this beautiful and incredible way. And, and I think, man, uh, just the, this, this idea, this reality, oh man, Sorry, my alarm was going off. <laughs> this idea and this reality that the apostles go out, they preach the word, and they start churches. That's what they're doing everywhere they go. Preach the word, start churches. This is how they view themselves as participating in God's plan. Man. But it's only because they were transformed that they are able to do this. I think, I was thinking about uh, this idea of transformation. I had this, this, there's this really cool and uh, this beautiful example, actually. Um, if, if you've ever watched uh, those YouTube videos, they're called, uh, it's like the channel called What If? And they go through all these scientific scenarios, like what if this happened? What if there were no bees? What if, you know, what if the sun went dark and didn't exist for like five minutes or something like that? And they go through all these crazy scenarios and they use uh, like scientific explanations to show what would happen. One, uh, one that I thought was really cool uh, was what if we filled the, Earth, uh, the Sahara Desert <laughs> with, with solar panels? What if we filled the, Earth, the Sahara Desert with solar panels? And and I thought this was so cool because what happens is like the, they, they lay it all out there. Ultimately what happens is if you were to put solar panels all across the Sahara Desert, first of all, uh, it would change the entire environment. It would go from a dry and dead land to, a, to almost like a lush and beautiful place. Like it would like increase vegetation by like 20%, I think is what I said, uh, 20%. And then not only that, so it would increase rainfall, but then on top of that, um, you know, that, that's creating oxygen. So more is, is being, more oxygen is being produced. But on top of all of that, we would be able, if you only, I think it was one point, yeah, 1.2% of the Sahara. If only 1.2% of the Sahara were covered, we'd be able to supply energy, the energy needs of the entire world. This is insane. This is insane. Man, and like who knew uh, that, that placing something where dead and dry land was what could transform it and, and care for the whole world. I'm making connections, connecting the dots for you, hopefully not too much, but ultimately, like, think about this. When we receive Christ, when we receive his spirit, our dead and dry land within our hearts is transformed to, in such a way that we, life begins to grow within us and we can also offer life and, and, and uh, goodness to the rest of this world. Christ does this within us and he desires for us to offer that to others. 
And so this is what we're doing. This is what we're participating in. This is why we are planting a church. In fact, this is why the well wanted to plant a church and why Eastside community wanted to plant a church and why we personally want to plant a church. And in fact, missiologists have actually explained this, uh, this, uh, this reality that uh, missiologists are people who study mission work and the growth of like believers and stuff like that. And so what, one thing that they've noted is that churches that are zero to three years old are like uh, five times, uh, I believe it's uh, five times more effective uh, per capita in seeing new salvations than churches that are 10 years or older. Like there's this reality that, that a new fresh start uh, draws in new life and it's awesome. And, and in fact, uh, churches who send other churches out actually see more growth themselves. Like it's this beautiful thing and it actually, it makes a lot of sense. It matches up with the way nature works, right? Uh, we, like, I w- like the reality that we don't just have one giant apple tree feeding the entire world, right? Uh, we grow orchards, because one tree can only grow so many fruits. Eventually, it's going to get limited. It's going to reach its capacity, and it cannot grow anymore. So it drops more fruits, grows more trees. They drop more fruits. They grow more trees. And the idea is if you truly want to uh, offer enough apples for everybody, then you're going to have to grow more trees. You can't just grow one giant tree. And this is what the idea of church planting, instead of just growing to a giant church, uh, one huge you know, mega church uh, that's, you know, when I say mega church, I mean like, huge, huge mega church uh, that can just reach everybody. One church cannot reach the entire world. And in fact, it, it, I, I'm getting way into, too into trees, right? But, but in fact, if two trees with different kinds of apples are growing, they will actually help one another grow faster. So there's this sense of the, like the cross-pollination and everything that happens that actually causes more growth in both of them if they're slightly different, you know? They're both growing apples, but they're growing slightly different apples. It actually helps, they help one another. And in the same way, you know, uh, the well and Eastside Community Church plants us, um, he, you know, in Southeast Austin, and we're reaching a whole new group of people. And, and so we're gonna have a slightly different uh, style and flavor and, and care for this culture and, and in a different way than they care for their cultures. And how beautiful is it as we work together to grow God's and see God's kingdom grow and advance God's kingdom, how beautiful is it that, that we should be able to see all of us growing more and more and more, all of our churches growing. This is what we call multiplication because it's not just one church getting bigger and bigger and bigger, that's addition. But if you have multiple churches growing uh, and dropping more seeds and growing more, that is where multiplication begins to happen, where you don't just have four, five, six apples on one tree, but you have four, five, six apples apples on 10 trees, you know, that's the beauty of, of, what, uh, of, of what church planting is about. And that's how we uh, hope to participate in, in God's plan uh, at work right now that's been at work for thousands of years and will be completed one day. This is what we're doing. This is what we're part of. Man, and I think it can be uh, so difficult at times to, to catch that, to see that reality and trust that God is actually using us for this purpose, that there's actually a good and uh, purpose for all of this. 
but God has big plans for Refuge Community Church in in Southeast Austin. I'm so thankful for what he's gonna do through us. I'm so thankful that we get to be a part of that plan of making disciples and and planting more churches, that we get to be a part of that major plan. And this this stall in time that's taken place, man, it's it would be very easy for us to become depressed and and struggle with it. And for especially for Josh and I, who've been planning this for a long time, it would be very easy for us to get bummed out by this, and yet God has been at work for thousands of years. He will complete his plan, and he does want to use Refuge Community Church to reach Southeast Austin. Man, God is at work. Just remind us of that. And so God is at work. What is he, what's he doing? He's partnering with image bearers, with humans, to rule and cultivate this world, to reflect his glory, his beauty, so that heaven and earth might overlap and so that we might see his kingdom cultivated, his rule, his reign cultivated here on this earth. I'm actually gonna just close uh, with two application points, two simple application points. First of all, place your trust in Jesus. Place your trust in Jesus. If you've never trusted in Jesus before, if you've never given him your heart, he can't, you, you can't be transformed without him. Your dry and dead land, your heart that has been hardened and harmed over time uh, by your own sin and by the harm done to you by others, God wants to heal it and use you to bring life to this world. So place your trust in Jesus. And if you do that, if you feel like you need to do that, then please reach out to us. You cannot do this alone. You need a church community with you, walking with you. So please reach out to us if you do that. But second of all, remember your calling. Remember your calling. I mean, it, it's, it's so uh, simple to, to forget what God was at work doing in, in, in you and through you when you felt called to come and church plant. You know, I, I think that it, it can, it can, we can grow weary. I mean, God, you know, it's okay. I'm just going to do my own thing. Man, don't grow weary in doing good. Continue. Remember your calling. Continue to move forward and, and join us in doing the things that we're able to do as, as restrictions, you know, go away. And as we begin to meet more and more, let's continue to care for our community, love uh, the area that we're in and continue to preach the gospel and build a church and then ultimately build multiple churches and see God's kingdom expand on this earth. Remember your calling. Hey, but maybe even you, you've had another calling in your life, you know? Maybe, uh, maybe some pl- work plans or whatever plans that you may have had before COVID hit uh, have been kind of just messed up by COVID. I want you to remember God is still at work in you and your heart. Don't let go of any of those plans. Remember your calling. Remember your calling. God's got a plan and a purpose for you. He wants to partner with you to rule and reign and cultivate his kingdom here on this earth, seeing heaven and earth overlap. Let's go ahead and just close with prayer. God, thank you uh, so much for your desire to partner with us, to change us, to uh, to multiply your kingdom, to see your presence fill the earth in a way that is tangible and real and, and, uh, and it's, it's just beautiful. And so I thank you for inviting us into this journey. Let us not forget that you have been at work for thousands of years and you will not stop working and that you have invited us into this plan. Thank you for making us part of your plan. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much, guys.
I hope uh, you were blessed by this message. We're going to go ahead and have a time uh, of worship. One more song of worship. We'll come back and I'll give the benediction. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith.